0: Queens, there must also be kings, drag kings, that is. And for this edition of Tramshed Presents, we extend a warm welcome to Celine Lowenthal, the co founder and creative director of the London based King's Troupe, PEX. Celine will guide us through her own journey into drag and tell us how and why PEX was formed. She'll also talk us through the skills and techniques that make or break a drag king and we'll get her take on the do's and don'ts of trying drag for yourself. Andre Pink, the producer of Tramshed's progression programme for emerging artists, will be alongside as well. He'll tell us why drag kings had to be a part of the current season and why when it came to kings, only pecs would do. All that coming up on Tramshed Presents. Tramshed Presents. Welcome to Tram Shed Presents. I'm Jason Caffrey. Now, this is the third episode of our current season, sequins, panties and moustaches. And we're recording this one under lockdown because of coronavirus. And so Celine and Andre are both at home speaking to me down the line. And Andre, I don't know what sort of room you're sitting in, but I can tell you But at this end, it's a far cry from our lovingly constructed pop-up studio at Tramshed. I am at home, so um, it feels homey and it feels, yeah, I'm comfortable here. (laughs) And Celine, you've no doubt done more for your art than I ever have for mine. But have you spent, you know, many hours fiddling around with bits of microphone as we've just done to get you set up?
1: Yes it's been actually quite fun. I'm in my bedroom. (laughs) It's the most technologically advanced thing I've done in a very long time and I have enjoyed it.
0: How is lockdown going for you, Celine?
1: It's going okay. I am living with my flatmates, so that is very nice. I'm enjoying their company very much. And luckily we have a tiny outdoor bit of roof. That we can sit on which has actually been glorious because of the sunshine so yeah lockdown could be worse
0: i saw on your twitter feed you've been reading a lot of detective novels
1: yeah (laughs) big detective novel murder mystery fan we also had a re-watching of knives out ryan johnson's brilliant new murder mystery film which i thoroughly enjoyed um but yeah i've been doing a lot of reading in general
0: and how about you andre how are you keeping mind and body active I'm
1: uh,
2: working from home, uh, a lot of jogging. I'm doing this 5K uh, by the NHS application, so I'm getting proud. I'm in week, week five now, so I'm running much more than when I first started, so I'm proud of that.
0: Good for you. Uh, so, look, Celine, let's talk about PEX, which you co-founded with actor and writer Temi Wilkie back in 2013. How did that come about, and why did you decide to form a King's Troop?
1: Mm. It actually came about at a party. We were just chatting about drag and we were at university with a group of drag queens who are now still around called Denim. And we'd been to a lot of their parties and shows and Temmie just asked me, why aren't there any drag kings? And over a lot of gin and tonics, we discussed the possibility and we actually went through our phones and wrote down a list of all the different actors that we knew who we thought might be up for it. And then we ran a workshop with all of those people. There was an existing drag king scene. It was quite hard to find. Um, You had to sort of be in the know and we were not in the know. So we just started making things, looking up videos on YouTube. There were some videos of drag kings in LA and in New York. And then we made our first show. We put it on a at a barge there's a barge called the Battersea barge which is doubles as a um, as a performance space
0: oh, and what was the first show
1: it was a kind of classic cabaret mixed bill Variety show. So it had a combination of things like stand up and sketches, a lot of dance routines, which we still do a lot of to this day. Our amazing choreographer and performer Lauren Steele um, is still with us. She is dragging Thrust in Limbersnake. And yeah, it was basically all of our ideas all in one go that we just threw together. And it was wonderful. It was such a great, amazing feeling the audience response was fantastic and it sold out we didn't, <laughs> didn't do a lot of marketing so we yeah finished that and felt like wow okay there's a real appetite for this let's keep going
0: who needs marketing when you've got all that gin and tonic hey eh? exactly. so uh, so since 2013 pecs has just grown and grown and clearly there was a market from the outset
1: mm, absolutely yeah i mean i think it's true in general of queer work that is for women, lesbians, non-binary, bisexual audiences, there's a dearth of it and it's less visible, basically, and work that doesn't cater in any way really to the classic cis, hetero, male gaze. And, yeah, we really enjoyed the kind of scale of the response because I think a lot of our audiences don't have this kind of outlet for their desire, really.
0: Let's get a flavour of uh, Peck's performance now. Just take a <laughs> listen to this.
3: Yes, 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 ladies, gents and non binaries welcome to Peck's The 80 Show! I'm your host, Caesar Jen and I promise you, you're in for a treat. Several treats, packages indeed, of all shapes and sizes. Yes, we are gorgeous and we're going to go all out, but it's not all about us. Each and every one of you will spend each and every day of your pretty little lives preparing for this evening, gentlemen, non-binaries, and ladies. I want you to look at me and think of every inch of your body right now. Every inch you've ever inspected, fixed your eyes on, brushed your fingers over. Every hair you've removed, every lash you've lengthened, every line you've strengthened and every line you've softened, blurred all 50,000 shades you've naturally blushed and cleverly blushed. every single moment in which you have touched your own body, you have been preparing to meet Caesar Gently.
1: <laughs> so thank you, I do hope you're so
0: just uh, tell us about that clip we've just heard.
1: So that was from the 80s show, which was a show we did about two or three years ago now, which started off at The Glory in Dalston, which is a fantastic kind of queer dive bar performance space. And then it transferred to Soho Theatre. And it was, yeah, a beautiful show that we're all very proud of. We made it in the year in which we lost a lot of queer icons from the 80s. So David Bowie and Prince and George Michael and it was part homage to those heroes of ours and it was also partly a moment for us to compare the political situation now with the political situation then and the Tory government comparisons with Margaret Thatcher and Theresa May and also looking at a lot of protest movements that started in the 80s that we wanted to honour and also rekindle. And that's what we did through the medium of drag.
0: I want to talk to you about the uh, the politics of drag in a little while. But first, Andre, was it that progress that Pex had made? Celine, they're talking about transferring to the Soho Theatre. Uh, the company that established itself. Is that what made you want to bring them into the progression season? There is definitely an
2: economic kind of Uh, We can talk about the economy of drag. There seemed to be much more work and people probably paid much more when I think I I first saw drag in Brazil. God knows how many years in the past. I think it was only drag queens. I I didn't think that I've seen a drag king perform perhaps the first time, maybe it was 10 years ago with Lois Weaver and it was kind of more live art, you know, Split Britches. Are you familiar with their work, Celine? No, I'm not. No? I'm going to let them up. Well, she teaches at Queen Mary as well, and she's kind of a performer. And that was the first time that I saw somebody in drag, and I heard the term drag king. But I think that it's much more out there. That would be interesting to talk about, the development of drag and how there is such a a scene now. And obviously, I think that that there is an appeal for young people. And it's interesting to share this knowledge that Pax brings and how to get into drag. I think Pax is the ideal group for people that is kind of starting their, their path.
0: So, Celine, you came in to give a masterclass at Tramshed for uh, emerging artists that are keen to try drag. Some of them may have done it before. Uh, What did you work on with them?
1: It's a workshop that I've run a few times now and it's kind of about exploring gender in general in performance but with a drag king spin on it. And we always start by discussing, essentially, why do drag in the first place? Why explore drag kings specifically, why perform masculinity on stage and also what the pitfalls are and what the potential risks might be about punching down or reinforcing stereotypes. And then we look at different kinds of performance styles. So we look at movement and using the body and always starting with your own body as as a place to build your character from and exploring moving in a way that feels masculine to you.
0: Uh, why, why does that matter?
1: In drag, in the way that we do it, there's a kind of personal ownership of the character that comes from a masculinity within our performers. And it's an opportunity to own a kind of masculinity that isn't that of cis men. And so starting with yourself is a way of bringing that ownership to the fore so that it really feels like wherever this character is coming from, even if it's based on someone else, it's based on your brother or based on an acquaintance or a man you met in a pub, or or if it is a version of you, that it's still coming from somewhere deep inside of you.
0: When you worked with the progression artist Celine at Tramshed, did you recognise them navigating challenges that you recognised from your own early forays into drag?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think something that comes up a lot when first creating a character is leaning into parody or into a kind of exaggeration that might... mm, It's a tricky balancing act where you don't want to be recreating a toxicity that makes your audience just re-experience the same things that they've experienced from... Um, toxic masculinity in in the world in a way that isn't thoughtful, or isn't in some way reflecting on that. So I've seen that, not to say that the, the participants in the workshop were fantastic, but certainly evidence of that instinct to immediately go to somewhere extremely exaggerated was there. And they did brilliantly, and they made beautiful acts. And I was very, very proud of them. But I think that's something that As we have progressed as a company, um, we've really been drilling into the nuances and the tendernesses and vulnerabilities of our drag king characters and finding versions of masculinity that we don't see and that we want to see more of and the ways in which they might have a femininity to them and they might have other aspects that aren't relying on a kind of cartoonish version of a particular kind of man that we might know or that kind of thing
2: that's quite interesting so would you say that from the time that you first started do you think that the characters that you you've been working with have they become more round and more complex or <laughs> they, they have their li- a life of their own in a way
1: yeah I do. I think it's interesting because there's that. Definitely, they are more three-dimensional and they're very human to us. I mean, we're really interested in their very honest frailties. And at the same time, something we've been playing with a lot more in our more recent shows, so in Sex, Sex, Men, Men, which we did last year at The Yard, is the relationship between the performer and the character. So really playing with... Unveiling the performers and taking the mask off and seeing what is happening between the audience and the performers themselves, as well as between the characters.
0: And Celine, did you, when you first started performing drag, I know that you, most of your time you spend now directing and less performing, but did you have to go through the process that you've described, where essentially you've got to get those toxic things? The extremities did you have to discharge those first?
1: oh yeah, that's interesting. I mean my journey as a performer I've done almost no drag performing myself, so it's this isn't speaking from experience, but obviously I've worked incredibly closely with all of the performers' impacts, and I do have a relationship with my own drag king character where you know the first time I really figured out who he was, it was really exhilarating him being so exaggerated and also being a bad guy because it's not permissible in general life. And certainly as a woman, I feel like politeness and essentially being as acceptable (laughs) as possible is a really important part of how I've been socialized. So suddenly I'm feeling I had permission to be Be the bad guy and behave in a way that was really self-interested, as this character was very freeing. And it was a kind of insight into, um, so this particular character was essentially a kind of city boy, into the mindset of those kinds of people who have a lot of power. And who aren't being checked in that power and the thrill of that experience, and it's quite disturbing, um but it's also what, what did
0: you do, Celine? It sounds like you've got a rampage in you somewhere
1: <laughs> i did, I did nothing there's no evidence, so you can't prove anything um no, just kidding no i mean it is it's a weird yeah, it's certainly a weird insight, but it is also a reminder that actually. There's a responsibility with exploring these kinds of topics and taking that responsibility seriously has been very important to us as a company. Um, And I have not um, done no crimes.
2: (laughs) (laughs) What was the name of your character?
1: Um, Leo. 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 And uh,
2: tell us a little bit about what kind of man Leo was or is.
1: (laughs) He is... A quintessential Slytherin is how I'd describe him. Um, privately educated, grew up with a real sense of his own privilege and power, and ended up working in the city. He's a very sexually voracious man. He's a bisexual man and very cheeky.
2: <laughs> so, would you say that you're basically direct? Because, like, I'm not really familiar how. Operates. I know you got two producers on board, mm-hmm. several performers, around 10 or more, yeah. right? Yeah. And, uh, and you direct mostly. Can you tell us a little bit of, I think, I'm, yeah, it would be nice to share that.
1: Originally, it was myself and Temi and around seven or eight performers. And over time, we just realized that the scale of the work we were making, we needed some help. So we got on board two amazing, amazing producers, Daisy Hale and Ellen Spence. Who are fantastic, and the performers who now make up the group? There's been some kind of turnover over the years, but we operate on a collaborative, collective basis. So, everyone is a director of the company, according to Company's House, and everyone has a say in the decisions that we make. But I have been there from the beginning, always in a directorial
0: role. Uh, I would like at this point to introduce a clip of a Washington, DC based drag king, Pretty Ricky. Uh, a.k.a. Erica Lewis. And the reason I want to bring it in here is because Pretty Ricky is going to talk about gaining confidence through performing as a drag artist.
3: Mm. Let's just have a listen to this for a moment. Going into drag and, you know, wearing men's clothing for a performance got me comfortable wearing men's clothes in regular life. Um, I feel better in them, I feel more confident in them, I look better in them, oh, wow. um, if I do say so myself. Um, <laughs> hey. <laughs> I feel uh, drawn to men's clothing styles. I love suits, I love tuxedos, I love ties and bow ties and uh, sock garters, all of that, the whole the whole shebang. I think it's uh, sexy, I think it's um, hot, I, th- I think it's all of those things and you know, for a long time, I felt like I couldn't enjoy those things because, quote, unquote, I'm a girl, right? I'm a yeah. girl. That's not what girls do. Girls wear dresses. Girls carry purses. If you try to give me to get me to carry a purse, it would be the most awkward thing you've ever <laughs> seen in your life. It's like a newborn baby giraffe kind of awkward. So funny. But you put me in a pair of wingtip shoes and a, a suit, uh, and I am the most confident person in the room. Pretty Ricky- they're talking to Aman Ismail on the
0: Man Up podcast. Our thanks to Aman for letting us use that clip. And Celine, is, is that something that you can identify with, that process of gaining greater confidence to express yourself through your work? Uh, I know that you're saying that you don't perform in drag, but I did read an interview piece and you've alluded to it a bit in which you said drag gives you access to a power that you just hadn't felt before.
1: Yeah, I think that's totally true. It's partly through making the work and it's partly through running the workshops and working with individuals. But I think in general, for myself and for all the drag artists that I know, there's something incredibly personal about the creation of a drag character. So in my case, it's not that I feel a kind of gender dysphoria that I'm working through. It's more that attributes of masculinity that I like in myself, like confidence or a kind of empowerment or a forthrightness or a directness, all of these kinds of aspects that we associate with a masculinity but actually are just personality traits. It's very difficult to explore those in day-to-day life without a kind of guide and I think that drag is an amazing tool for that kind of personal development and there's a confidence that comes from giving yourself permission to inhabit a masculine alter ego that, I think, uh, yeah, I don't know
0: where else you can get it from. Uh, And Andre, I don't know if you've done any work in drag, but I did see you take on a persona for the piece you performed at Marissa Koneski's Radical Cabaret Showcase. So, you know, maybe this is something that you can relate to as well. I mean, I I think Celine doesn't know
2: that, but I teach clowning and I'm Philippe Goulier and and Lecoq trained. So a lot of the work that I have done as a performer and as a facilitator and as a teacher, relates, I think, to the world of creating an alter ego. I also teach Commedia dell'arte, which is this Italian art form with half masks, where all the characters are kind of taking the mickey out of people from 16th century Italy, which super relates to drag. Drag, in a way, there's I think the starting point, the seed is an exaggeration, right? It's kind of like a bigger version of a woman or of a man or or femininity and masculinity, let's put it this way. And I think clowning, there is a lot of that. In Commedia de Larte, there's a lot of that. So I have played and experienced, I think, similar things, the freedom that you have when you're clowning on stage. Everything that you're doing comes from you. It's really looking at what hurts, or your stupidity, your vulnerability, the child in you. I feel that there's lots of connections with my world, but at the same time, it's different. It's something else. It's something that I haven't done or I haven't trained. And I think that that's the curiosity. That's why the invitation, I think, to bring PAX, to bring Dolly Trolley, to work with the world of Cabaret. There's so much connection with my background, but at the same time, it's kind of new. So I'm extremely curious about
0: it. Uh, now, look, Celine, you know, before we leave the subject of confidence, there is one thing that and – and I bring this up with a little bit of trepidation, but I would be shirking my responsibility if, it, if I didn't ask about the package –
1: Oh, the package.
0: Uh, I'm talking, of, yeah, the lunchbox, <laughs> yeah. and two veg. Yeah. Now, yeah. you know, many kings want the appearance of a distinctive and, and in some cases prominent male bulge mm. in their trousers, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And these days you don't have to just stuff a couple of rolled up socks into your <laughs> pants to get it, do you?
1: Well, it's interesting you say that because a lot of kings do still just use a pair of socks. Tammy's favourite was always the lacrosse socks, which she had from, I don't know what context she played lacrosse, but yeah, really lovely big pair of socks. But you can now also get essentially like a flaccid strap on that I think are made for trans masculine people. And yeah, these amazing floppy plastic creations, but also in a lot of kings, kinging is very DIY a lot of the time. And I know people who've made beautiful packages. Someone knitted essentially a beautiful bean bag and gave it to my friend, who's a king, as a gift. It's very special, your relationship to your package. So, yeah, there's all sorts of versions. Anything you can imagine, is happening Uh, somewhere. Well,
0: I I was going to say that's very dedicated Mm. knitting, but I can can see that that's a very well-targeted gift.
1: Mm, Definitely, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah i mean it's all all the factors
0: are important the weight the feel right
2: okay <laughs> in the masterclass, there was something that was almost like stanislavski about mm. the work do you agree celine in terms of like asking what your character would do in the morning or where did they go to high school like really finding a backstory for your character and kind of exploring like a day in the life of somebody But I think that they really come to life when all the other bits are added to it. Like in Comedia, Mm -hmm. you need the mask, you need the clown, you need the red nose. Mm -hmm. And in drag, it's like I brought some costumes on the day of the workshop, Jason, and you can see like people putting the clothes on and doing a little bit of, of a makeup and everything. All of a sudden, those characters start to really to come to life when you start to bring those elements into play. Do you agree on that?
1: I totally agree completely agree and it sometimes can be the case um, that a king might suddenly find who their character really is through finding the jacket or the hat or the moustache or whatever specific detail I think binding is also a really big part of that because it really changes your physicality and how you hold yourself and so for a king to find exactly the right form of binding for them it's a crucial part of it too and definitely makeup and facial hair is all incredibly important. And for
2: somebody who would be starting, where would you go if you want to start your drag path?
1: Well, my suggestion would be starting off at home, starting off by just experimenting in the mirror with clothes that you've got or borrowing things and trying out dance moves or maybe writing a poem as an imagined drag king or just having a play around in a private space and with looks that you like. And then there's lots of workshops available in different places. There's a drag king called... Trinidad and to Gay though who runs a lot of workshops now so you can check them out on Twitter and I co-run the course at Soho which does cabaret and drag in general and that's a really really wonderful intro to drag in all its forms that includes drag kinging of course <laughs> And as and when we do these masterclasses or workshops at PECs, always worth coming along. And we've been doing it for so long now that we really feel like we've honed a starter kit, essentially. And then, yeah, Instagram, YouTube, all amazing resources for just finding looks and clips of acts. I think we're very lucky to live in the era of Instagram and YouTube to be able to kind of share knowledge like this.
0: Saline, I just want to pick up on something you mentioned earlier, which is binding. And since we've started talking about people at the outset, I understand that if you bind badly, there there is good and bad technique. And if you get it wrong, mm. you can hurt yourself. So you know, yeah. tell us how to do it and how not to do yes. it, please.
1: Absolutely. So first of all, there's a king called Len Blanco who's done a tutorial video which is available on their Facebook page. So worth checking out Len Blanco. But yeah, there are different ways, different approaches. The important thing is if you're using tape is to not bind too tightly because that's how you can hurt yourself. And the other way you can hurt yourself is through whatever the glue is on the tape, giving you an allergic reaction or damaging your skin. But the two ways essentially are either using some form of tape or using a binder. Binders can be quite expensive, so they're an investment, and they're definitely worthwhile if you're going to be doing a lot of performing because they're made to go over your body and to compress in a safe way. The important thing is finding the right size for you. And they also come in lots of different skin tones and colours. And then the other alternative is using tape. And the best thing is what's called kinesiology tape, which is essentially sports tape for if you, say, had an injured knee or whatever, um, because it's made to go on your body and it's very elastic. Um, But, yeah, making sure that it's not too tight There's kind of really detailed ways of describing how to bind using tape. My suggestion would always not to be going all the way around your body, but making sort of C-shaped loops just on either side of your rib cage. But Len does describe this in really great detail. So I definitely recommend checking their page out for a kind of detailed version of this and then other people use more hardcore things like gaffer tape
0: no Um, no um, tell me people don't use gaffer tape
1: yeah no they definitely do and it's partly a kind of deliberate partly for the aesthetic and for the feel of it but you can also kind of cheat that by putting gaffer tape over sports tape so that you're not harming yourself
0: my apologies to anyone out there who's a fan of binding with gaffer tape for my extreme reaction to that (laughs) so look, you've you've done the you've stood in front of the mirror you've done your health and safety with your binding where Mm. where do you go from there to you know find opportunities to perform and and where should any nascent drag king go to see and learn from the from the best kings that are out there now
1: Great question. The Royal Vauxhall Tavern have a night called Bar Whatever, which is on a Tuesday, which is not drag king specific, but it does showcase a lot of amazing kings alongside other kinds of cabaret performance, which is wonderful. And also they do a kind of sign up where you can perform even as a relative newbie. And then at the Glory, there's Boy Box and, of course, the annual Man Up competition where you could win a £1,000 as a drag king and just keeping your eyes peeled for things that are around. But those would be my top tips.
0: Mm. And, Celine, look, at this point, I want to just come back to the politics, actually. And it's a bit of a handbrake term because you, you kind of started out on that a bit earlier in the chat. But... Is there something radical about PEX and what it's setting out to do? Because if you look at the PEX website, it talks about sexy, raucous and highly entertaining shows, which,
3: mm.
0: you know, many people bill themselves as doing that, and then goes on to say you're you're exploring gender identities and politics and sexuality. And I've also, uh, reading around PECS work, there was a, a sort of stated aim to challenge established patriarchy. Hmm. Is that still part of Peck's work?
1: Definitely. I think that's part of everything that we do. Our intention is always political and we're always trying to amplify the political message of our work, but at the same time, bring it in in a way that is kind of stealthy so that it is also enjoyable and celebratory and whether our audience is purely our kind of core queer female non-binary trans fans or if it's a much wider mainstream audience that it's still accessible and enjoyable for that audience because that makes it so much more likely that the other things that are going underneath about gender and about patriarchy and about power are going to sink in in a way that isn't going to elicit a kind of defensive response that will make it much less likely that there'll be a fruitful conversation that comes out of it. And look, I think anything that is made not with the male gaze in mind is political in itself. But I think we really deliberately make it such that if a straight, cis, male and female audience member watches it, that, that it still feels like it could be for them. And we might ask them to laugh at themselves, but in a way that is enjoyable. So, yeah, I think that's essentially our approach. But we've got, we also have a lot of very strong political convictions that we do hope to get across in our work.
0: And Andre, the, the disrupting of accepted norms... I think it's fair to say that that's what Celine is describing in many ways. That's something that you've enthusiastically stitched into this entire progression season. And why is that, André?
2: Um, I think that is, in a way, intrinsically connected with the role of being an artist or being a performer. You have... uh... Responsibility of stirring the air, of questioning the status quo, what is right and wrong, pushing boundaries. I think that is intrinsically connected to what we do, and I think that uh, cabaret drag does it with a pinch of salt, with a little twist. It makes us look at the world and looks at the injustices, at the the power structures that are out there. But at the same time, it's extremely entertaining, and and drag is also is extremely. Uh, sensual and sexy and i think there's something really political about that i'm sure that uh, you probably get uh straight people that come to see the show and 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 get confused (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) does that happen i I mean i i go to bar whatever sometimes Uh, i Mm. love the voxel tavern and take straight friends there with me and oh my god they're so sexy but it's a woman dressed as a man they get really confused (laughs) and i think there's something extremely healthy about questioning that right Mm. Uh, there is something political just in that you agree with that
1: yeah totally i think that that's A wonderful part of it and uh, an acknowledgement happens in that moment in which that person who considered themselves straight is suddenly attracted to someone whose gender is very confusing to them. It's an acknowledgement that sexuality and gender are fluid and I think that's such a useful thing for us all to experience and a reminder in general that the kinds of rigidity and the boxes that we use to shame people or to keep them in their place are constructed they're they're not real and actually that's one of the things that we hope to do is to kind of soften and loosen the boundaries between things such that we all can kind of breathe a little easier
0: celine drag kings are compared to queens still in a niche Mm
1: -hmm. queens
0: have come into the mainstream you've got rupaul's work you've got Movies like Priscilla, Queen of the Desert and Kinky Boots. But that mm. really isn't the case for kings. Do you see that changing? What's the trajectory?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's such a... I come back to this question all the time in my own mind about why kings have a not, haven't reached the same kind of mainstream visibility. And I think that there are kind of patriarchal explanations for that in part. At the same time, I still don't totally understand it. It's always a difficult question because when something goes into the mainstream, it can also lose its politics in certain ways. And at the same time, there's a risk of only making work for your own bubble. And, you know, it's important to make work for your community. But at the same time, the real people who need to hear the work in order to kind of receive its benefits live outside of that bubble. So mainstream channels are really important for things like drag to make a ripple effect in the world. But I do think shows like RuPaul sadly in some ways don't have the fullest political effect that they could because they're they're kind of packaging up queer culture for for a straight audience in a way that is digestible and yeah, I mean, I don't know what will happen in the future and whether Kinging will kind of reach that that level, but I would hope that it can reach wider audiences.
0: With that, we'll bring to a close this edition of Tramshed Presents. Thank you very much indeed to Celine Lowenthal for taking time out first to unpack all of the microphone equipment at her <laughs> end, and then unpack for us the world of drag kings and thank you to andre pink tramshed's progression producer visit tramshed.org for more on opportunities at tramshed for emerging artists working in theater andre will be back for the next edition when we'll be speaking to drag queen dolly trolley and if you've enjoyed this episode of Tramshed Presents, please do subscribe through your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to check out the earlier episodes with radical cabaret artist Marissa Kaneski and the Queen of Queerlesque Ruby Jones. Thanks for listening and for choosing to spend your time with us. Until next time, bye-bye. <sighs>